Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. We are so excited for today's guest. I've gotten a chance to love and learn about this amazing leader uh, through several community organizations that we have partnered together on, including the amazing Women's Fund of Central Ohio, where she is the reigning board chair. And we also have gotten to produce and uh, put together a, what they call the 9 by 9 Speakers uh, in Symposium that the lovely Ruth Milligan brought us together for. So I'm very, very excited to welcome Sophia Fifner to our podcast today. Sophia helps women and organizations amplify their purpose through social impact. She has over 15 years of experience in corporate affairs. She is a philanthropy practitioner and an advocate for women and girls. And she, so much of her work today centers around Brave Philanthropists, which is a campaign she launched in 2022 to change the face of philanthropy and activate giving to women's and girls' organizations. We are so excited. Please help us welcome to the EMBW podcast, Ms. Sophia. Uh-oh. Thank you so much Hello. for having me. We're so excited to have you. That is quite the resume. Honey, that was only a little bit. <laughs> I know. My girl is accomplished. How do we get such accomplished guests on this show? I mean, you know, I think we live in right. So, Sophia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited that you are here as well. So, we want people to kind of get to know you a little bit and get a little flavor of who you are and what you're all about. So can you give us a little bit of who is Sophia Fifner? Yeah. So I was born in the Bronx. Oh, um, I'm not a, from the block? I know, right? Like, I'm, I'm totally not a New Yorker, so much so that my New York relatives make fun of me because I actually <laughs> grew up in cornfields. Um, <laughs> my parents immigrated to the Bronx. I was born there. And shortly after, we moved to Pickerington, Ohio, when there was literally nothing there but cornfields. Yeah. Like, so much so I had a friend who was Miss Dairy Queen oh. because her family owned a dairy farm. Nice. So I am um, an, an individual who at, at at my heart, I consider myself an Ohio girl. I like being out in the woods and camping and eating s'mores nice. and hiking. Um, but when I'm not doing that, I went to school at, at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. I spent some time there. Most of my time was actually in Washington, D.C. I'm very passionate about politics mm -hmm. and about civic engagement. Um, and I really love volunteering with women's organizations. In fact, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I have this thing called a five-year box. Oh, okay. I'm very morbid. I'm just going to put, just for the, I'm just, you I know I think I plan for everything, Be including yourself. death. It's okay. <laughs> so We're all going to get there I one have day. this catalog of my life of like every five years I have a box and I was going through this box a couple of months ago and I was finding some artifacts and what I found very interesting and consistent was that Every single five, you know, every five years or every decade of material that I saved, which is papers or artifacts from when I was a kid, consistently, everything that I saved were all women's organizations. So there were, really? there were flyers from Take Back the Night from college and in high school and in junior high I had things from Girl Scouts or some type of women's empowerment, girl power organization. So it just yeah. seems like this is something that is a common thread and yes. it was exciting to see that it wasn't something that just started in adulthood that right. it's just truly who I am and who I who I 
you know, who have always been. That's really very cool. So are you an only child or do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. She's my complete opposite in every possible way. (laughs) And I love that about her. Mm -hmm. I was the strange kid who color coordinated everything. My folders, my my book bag was meticulously organized. I had to plan for everything. Very type A, very (laughs) much a rule follower. And my younger sister... Um, was not. Yes. <laughs> and I loved her for that. Like just she operates in a space where things don't have to be just so and somehow she consistently lands on her feet. She's an actress here in Columbus and has performed in multiple shows. And I'm just really proud of her. And she she teaches me how to um, be calm and not take things so seriously. Yeah. Which every type A person needs that in their life. She's yeah. a good balance to me. You want to share her name with everybody? Give yeah, a little her, shout out? Yes, her name's Shauna Davis. So she performs at a lot of Cat Co. performances. And um, hopefully whenever her next show is, I'll I'll be able to shout her out on social media. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be very cool. So I have a very similar story because I'm the baby of the family. And I have an older sister. And she's very similar to you where all of her closet is color coordinated. All the black clothes, blue clothes, red clothes. Everything is done. She makes her bed every day. She has a routine. And I'm like... Are the clothes clean? Then they're on the bed. If they're dirty, they're on the floor. So that's kind of how I show up. How I show up every day. Yeah. So I can appreciate having that kind of sisterhood. Yeah. yeah. I, I can vouch. There's no exaggeration in what she's saying. <laughs> so that'll make my bed. I go, I'm going to be back in it in like nine hours. So why make the bed? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So my parents are from Jamaica, and I feel like people go, oh, they're from Jamaica. They must be so laid back and relaxed. They're the complete opposite of that. They are very (laughs) much regimented individuals, and that's where I get this from. But it's funny because I feel like Shauna is so laid back and so hip and cool how people perceive our culture. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm glad that she can be the representation for our family because otherwise people would be like, yeah, Jamaica, (laughs) not going there. Yeah. Like, (laughs) that's not the island feel that I was looking for. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's very cool. Oh, I love that. I love that you have a Jamaican heritage too. That's beautiful. How do you think that actually helped contribute to you wanting to be a philanthropist? Yeah, it was everything. So growing up, uh, I grew up in a very religious household. So while my I didn't see my parents volunteer with a nonprofit organization, I definitely saw their dedication to church mm-hmm. um, and tithing and giving back as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Jamaica, you know, in addition to growing up in this religious Jamaican household where you, know, you give back to your church, you donate to the church on a regular basis, I also saw them take care of family and community. Mm-hmm. So frequently I would have visitors I think relatives they're Jamaican they're from an island and they would stay with us for very long long periods of time and those individuals could be family members or missionaries sometimes and I saw my parents ability to give back to those who did not have much and we did not have much right it was we didn't live in a big house or have a lot of lavish cars or big TVs. Mm-hmm. That's not the lifestyle that my I grew up in or that my parents had, but I saw them always try to help those in need mm-hmm. um, because there's always somebody who could lend need a helping hand. And that's where I definitely learned this, the importance of giving back to others and to caring about community. Yeah, I love that. You know, and a lot of times I've always seen that it's the people who literally have the least that are the most giving and generous with what they have. 
Like, why do you think that is? Because, I mean, I've literally noticed that most of my life. My grandma was very similar. You know, whatever food we had, if somebody came over, she offered them a plate to eat, right? So it's like you just kind of make do and you know you just try to share. Yeah, you know, I wish I had the answer to that. What I can say is that uh, data supports that. So individuals who have less from a financial standpoint give a larger part of their income to charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and having grown up in a household where, you know, I was never food insecure, but I certainly knew how critical it was to think about how we're spending our funds at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I watched my mom work three jobs and mm-hmm. try to just stay above water on bills. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that this this lesson of generosity when you don't have or when you've you know been on the receiving hand or the receiving side of goodness, I think you know how critical it was for you to receive that type of goodness and, and kindness. Yeah. And it's it, I think it encourages you and inspires you to give back in meaningful ways when you do have something. That's one of the things Brian and I talk about a lot because we were both raised by single parents. Um, and, you know, my grandmother was also very, very important to me in my life where my mom worked outside the home, you know, and you're thinking about my mom was a STEM graduate, but working even in the 70s and 80s in nuclear power, she was one of the only black women to do what she did and was often overlooked by her white male counterparts, right? And so it was always this struggle to try to keep getting ahead and trying to to stay afloat. And, you know, so my grandma, we had a garden in the backyard. So we, you know, raised beans and peas and corn and all that kind of thing. So that was a big way we would always give back is sharing Mm -hmm. the crops and sharing our harvest with other people so that they could could have some of that. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really great. And that's something Brian and I did even as as a married couple. We made sure we have a tithe account that we put aside that we are always doing charitable things with. And we've taught the kids that, you know, that's really important for us. Yeah, we've done done numerous things. Uh, one of our favorite things to do is Meals on Wheels, uh, going out there and just giving people meals, knowing that might be their only meal of the week or, or the day. And it's really uh, inspirational and motivational for us to get out there and, and just see their excitement to see us knowing that we're doing some good. Um, so in, in what ways do you feel like uh, you give back? Gee, you know, when I talk about philanthropy, I often talk about it in four different ways. You can give your time, your talent, your treasure or your testimony. Mm. And the way that I give back is oftentimes through my testimony. So I'm an odd bird in that I actually like speaking with elected officials mm. on a regular basis. Um, I've worked for the federal government in Washington, D.C., and I've also worked for a city government. And I've had an opportunity to see how influential community members can be when they see something happening in their communities and they voice their concerns. Mm -hmm. So I volunteer with several organizations like the Women's Fund of Central Ohio or the Ohio Alliance in Sexual Violence or the Ohio Crime Victims Justice Center. And oftentimes I am writing on their behalf um, mostly to elected officials to hopefully pass laws that will support other survivors of violent crimes, um, specifically those that are focused on supporting survivors of of rape and sexual assault yeah uh, well first of all um i'm so sorry you had to go through that and i appreciate you having a voice because there's so many um people and women men all types of people who go through that and feel like their voices are taken away from them so i really appreciate that you're out there fighting the good fight literally um for everyone and by working with the elected officials as well so thank you for that thank you you know honestly i really I enjoy looking at policy and legislation. I enjoy providing te- my testimony in front of the General Assembly. But I also acknowledge that, you know, giving 
comes in many forms. So when I can't provide my testimony, if there are organizations that uh, I feel are making a difference in the world or in the community, oftentimes women's organizations like Girl Scouts or Dress for Success, I'll become a monthly donor to those organizations because I can't give all of my time and all of my testimony. So I have Mm -hmm. to be really strategic in how I'm showing up and giving back. And depending on what my capacity is financially, from a time's perspective, I'm more volunteering. I'll, I'll try to make sure that I'm hitting all of the critical organizations that are really important to me in a, a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. You know, a lot of people are even, they're confused or um, don't understand the process of going to elected officials and talking to them and, and using testimony or writing letters and that kind of thing. Like, how easy or how hard is that? I mean, is it like you have to feel, you, you call it brave philanthropist for something, for a reason, right? So it's kind of a little bit of bravery because it can be a little scary, um, especially if you don't understand it or you think you don't have power to do so. So yeah. how would you, you know, give advice to people how to, how to do that? Well, one, I think that it is really scary because if you watch the news, whether it be local news or state news organization or national news, I think that if you, especially if you have an imposing view to an elected official, you might go, oh my gosh, they're never going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought the same thing, quite frankly, until I worked on Capitol Hill and I saw the types of individuals that are coming to speak to the senator that I worked for. And those individuals were, I literally saw my neighbor oh wow (laughs) i was Mm -hmm. i was um and my my, the neighbor that i grew up to grew up with um in ohio in dc she was a a teacher and she showed up with a teaching a teaching group um to talk about the needs for funding education Mm. and it was just you know so i share that to say uh, it's really important that people use their voice it's really important to acknowledge that your elected officials will listen to you they will read your letters i read dozens and dozens and dozens of phone calls and letters and um, all sorts of communication from residents across Ohio. They do see all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those elected officials, which most people like their elected official, but they might not like everybody else's, your elected <laughs> official will definitely listen to you. Yeah. So the first step that you need to take, though, is just honestly, you know, picking up the phone and making a phone call. I know that if you have Gen Z or millennials or just quite frankly, any individual who's a little uncomfortable with picking up the phone, mm-hmm. sending an email is also a great way to connect with your elected official. And uh, the more that you can personalize your letter or your email, and it doesn't have to be long. It does, you don't have to know all the facts. Mm-hmm. Just share your perspective on mm-hmm. a specific issue. And um, you know, I think good offices will make sure that they get back to you with a letter or a phone call or, you know, honestly, even if you want to schedule a meeting with them, they're, that's what they, why they're there. They're there to represent you and they, they should be willing to hear your voice and your perspective. Yeah. I yeah. love that you did that. And I, I it was funny because before the show started, we were talking about libraries and that was my first job as a 15 year old. But I remember when I first moved to Ohio, almost 20 years ago, the budget was coming up and they were threatening to uh, reduce library funding. And so I actually wrote a letter to my senators to protect library funding. And I did get a reply back, uh, which was really great. So that helped me, you know, know that, oh, yeah, I have a voice and it matters. Oh, And the pen is mightier than the sword. Let me write something. It's so, (laughs) I mean, let me tell you, the type of legislation I work on is not easy. It's not, it's a heavy topic for a lot of people to address for a variety of reasons. And this actually last week, we had three different things happen that supported survivors, which I was really mm-hmm. excited about. One, Aaron's law was passed, which is providing um, 
age-appropriate sexual abuse and sexual violence education to Mm -hmm. all students in public schools in Ohio, grades K through 12. Additionally, Marcy's Law was passed, which is Marcy's Law is a victim's rights piece of legislation stating that victims have rights and they should be informed of those rights Mm -hmm. uh, when something happens to them. Because oftentimes as a victim, something terrible happens and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. Um, Marcy's Law corrects that. This was passed as a constitutional amendment in 2017, but the actual legislation to enact this constitutional amendment just passed. And then on top of that, there was a ruling by the Supreme Court um, that was specifically for an individual. Her name was Amanda Brandt, or her name is Amanda Brandt. She was um, maliciously assaulted as a child, mm-hmm. and she um, received an award of over $20 million wow. Um just through her multiple court cases due to the permanent damage that she experienced, the physical and mental damage from the assaults that she endured. However, Ohio has damage caps. Mm. So the caps removed her $20 million verdict to $250,000. And the Supreme Court supported Amanda Brandt's case. And so she'll now be have access to the full award that a jury decided for her. And like, it's, it's a big deal because if you receive permanent mental damage and harm from an individual, I think that Ohioans are smart enough to figure out like what makes the most sense from a financial standpoint. The fact that the Supreme court sided with her is a really huge step forward for survivors of sexual assault, specifically childhood abuse. And I show that to say this would not have happened if it were not for, multiple voices. I mean, Mm -hmm. multiple nonprofit organizations and advocacy organizations and individuals Mm -hmm. wrote letters to the editor, provided testimony, showed up at protests Mm -hmm. to support Amanda Brandt and these types of legislation. And it was really exciting to see that the Supreme Court and the state legislature heard our voices and yeah. actually moved laws to, to support us, which I think is, it's just, I mean, it's just, it was just a huge example of your voice might be one drop of water in an ocean, but it matters and we yeah. need all of it to move things forward. Okay. Exactly. Oh, I love that so much. And that, that kind of actually gave me chills a little bit because I think a lot about the power of many, you know, it's like that quarter three strands are it's not easily broken. And I think about that all the time, you know, especially in moments of bravery, right? It's it's super scary to do something by yourself. But if you can have some good pals to come along with you, it's a little less scary because you have that safety and support to help you get through it. You know, so wh- what are some of the, the safety and support supportive circles that you have for yourself when you're doing your brave philanthropy work? I would say that my, my well, one, just community. I, I mentioned this earlier, how I learned the importance of community from my parents. Mm-hmm. But advocating for an issue that, you know, as a survivor of sexual assault, it's really personal. Yeah. And there are days when it's really heavy. Yeah. And what's great about having a community of individuals who are also supportive of survivors of sexual assault um, is that they take moments to ask, oh, my gosh, you know what? Sophia, I, I asked you to tell your story three times today. Are you doing okay? Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. And I think that that's such an important question to ask because I think oftentimes people forget about mental health and you might see somebody who is on television or is a celebrity of some sort and you have mm-hmm. no idea how they're feeling. Yeah. So having a community who acknowledges the importance of mental health, the yes. importance of supporting one another is really yes. tremendous. And then the second thing I'll share is that I'm um, having a, a partner 
who understands and supports you is incredibly important, Mm -hmm. especially when with the type of work and philanthropy that I do, which is oftentimes focused on really heavy topics. I think I like to talk about all the things that make people uncomfortable. So like sex, race, politics, it can be really heavy in our household sometimes. (laughs) It's super heavy. But what's great is having a partner who understands, who is supportive and um, who is incredibly caring. So I think that that makes it a little bit easier in for for individuals who are looking to be brave philanthropist having a partner and a community i think is just as important because if you're going to spend your time volunteering when you have a family or a dog or a parent that you're caring for Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of time or if you're going to invest money whether that be five dollars or twenty five dollars or five hundred dollars no matter the amount it's it's a financial impact and if you live with somebody else it's important to to make sure that you have the support that you need to make that contribution totally agree with that and that's something that you know brian and i we have lots of discussions about and we teach our kids um as well you know how to do that and how to to be a more well-rounded uh, citizen of the world, you know, to make sure you're always looking out for others and such. So, but I know you have two beautiful babies. You want to talk about that a little bit? I have a, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Carolina's six. She is all that is great and awful about myself <laughs> in the best way possible. Yeah. And like by great, I mean, she's incredibly caring. I think she's the most righteous six-year-old I've ever met. Mm. If someone is being unkind, she will let you know. Mm -hmm. In the same vein, if somebody is not following the rules, she will let you know. (laughs) And she is incredibly tenacious about it. And I know that she gets that from me. (laughs) So um, she's absolutely joyful in every possible way. And she's on a mission to discover the real Santa versus fake Santas right now. Right. She's she's eyeing them. She notices the thread of the suit. Yeah. If it's a different color right now, gold thread, real Santa, non gold thread, Uh fake Santa. And then my sec, my two year old Hannah um, is a wonderful piece of joy too. She's a a woman on her own mission. Mm. She has a very loud and very poignant voice on a lot of different issues. Um, Specifically milk um, Barbies, very important to her. Mm-hmm. She will articulate exactly how she feels about when she wants to play with those things or yes. consume those things. Yes. And I love her for that. I love it. Yeah. A two-year-old stage is so fun. It's so fun. Now now ours are in their 20s. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, it's totally different. And we're, we're happy to be empty nesters. <laughs> it is very fun. So I, I assume you're going to go see the new Barbie movie when it comes out. I am so curious about yeah. this. So I, yes, I am a huge fan of Barbie for, through all of her different careers. Yes. And I'm really fascinated to see, like, what is this movie about? Because it right. just seems really, I don't know, I'm fascinated by it. Yes. Well, I would love to hear uh, Hannah's assessment of the movie review when it's mm-hmm. done. I'm sure she'll have one. <laughs> she'll be able to voice her opinion. I love that. I love that. So. I know, you know, this philanthropy is so important to you and you have two girls and your um, your focus is always women and girls. What do you want your daughters to take away from your work and what you're doing in this philanthropy space? Yeah. And let me digress a little bit to share why this is so important to me and my what I hope my impact is on my daughters, Um, because there is a strong connection there. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, Caroline. Um, I remember her bringing her bringing her home from the hospital and it was just a few days after the 2016 presidential election or national election. And I was to be completely transparent, bawling like mm-hmm. I, I, I was so concerned about the conversations that we were having um, at a local state and national level, specifically around 
the the treatment of immigrants, mm-hmm. um, the treatment of survivors of sexual assault, how we were talking about women mm-hmm. and leadership, I really felt that there was a complete void of civility mm-hmm. and love mm-hmm. and compassion and empathy and all of those words that I hope my daughters will learn, appreciate and understand. Mm-hmm. And I was holding her. Caroline in her nursery, just really distraught about what the what type of country I was bringing her into, and what was I doing to change that? Mm. And so I made a promise to her that I would always do good that matters, and I was very serious about that promise. I I realized at that point in my life that I had so much experience in philanthropy, and in you know civic engagement and working with women's organizations, but I wasn't really talking about it or bringing anybody along with me. Mm. And that needed to change. So from that moment on, I was committed to making sure that I used my voice in every possible way. And because I'm forever passionate about women and girls, for statistic reasons, I mean, one in five women, black women will experience sexual violence, less than 2% of philanthropic funds support Mm. women and girls organizations, which includes like everything, Mm. Girl Scouts, you know, women moving millions, women's funds, Freedom a la carte here in Central Ohio, which focuses on helping women who have experience or are part of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. All of those organizations, less than 2%. That's um, unbelievable. I feel like that is like clearly, like I need to be louder about this yeah. need to support women's organizations. So for my daughters, if anything, I really hope that they learn to love, mm-hmm. to be kind, Mm-hmm. to work incredibly hard and to use their voice. Yeah. And so with my two-year-old Hannah, with all of her opinions, and with Caroline, who is righteous as heck, I, I would be I would feel that my life was fulfilled if both of them were advocates for others, whether that be yeah. advocates for their, you know, the, the, the little boy or girl or individual who's sitting next to them in a classroom, yeah. or if they decide to become a nuclear engineer and Mm -hmm. want to change the world that way. I hope that they take those components and and apply that to their lives. I love that. That is beautiful. It sounds like they got enough knowledge or kids have enough knowledge to come, you know, be on this podcast and hold their own. I mean, literally. So we'll do a 2.0 when having Hannah and Caroline here. (laughs) (laughs) It would be very loud and there'd be lots of toys everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like my everyday. I mean, this this is how I live every day. That's awesome. You know, so I do want to ask, you know, we've talked about a couple of different ways, but if somebody's like, I, I, I want to do something philanthropic, but I don't quite know what to do. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of treasure. I, I haven't had anything that's my testimony. Like, what, what can I do? What should I do? How can I get started? Do you have some tips for folks? Sure. So one, I highly recommend visiting my website, bravephilanthropist.com. I started it as a resource and a campaign for women who are interested in giving back or doing good in their community. And for if you're limited on time or money, I, I think that sometimes when people, especially women, because I've interviewed over 300 women this year wow. um, to talk about philanthropy, mm-hmm. I I think that sometimes we make it really complicated and it's not complicated. Mm -hmm. So if you have no time at all, but you're scrolling on Instagram and you see a post about something happening in your community that you want to share, share it. That's huge. It's so hard to reach people on social media without paying a lot of money, especially on Facebook and Instagram. So if you can share that post or that nonprofit organization, high five, sister, you did an amazing job. Way to go. If you have... $5 to give, 
give it and consider becoming a monthly donor. You know, I think sometimes, especially if you have the capacity to give $5 a month or $25 a month, people think, oh, well, I can't really do anything because I need need at least $5,000 or a couple hundred thousand dollars to give to really make a dent. But my favorite type of philanthropy is the philanthropy that comes in smaller amounts because those smaller amounts to me means a lot. Like those are individuals who are intentionally giving money that means something to them, right? means something to an organization that that moves them. So I think for my biggest advice is take small steps that it doesn't have to be big to be good. And um, that every every penny, every moment of your time where you can just do something small matters. And the last thing I'll share is that sometimes when we talk about philanthropy, we talk about it in an organized way. Um, but for diverse communities, specifically immigrant communities and communities of, of brown and black people, philanthropy can be showing up to your churches or your synagogues fresh fish fry and supporting that in a charitable way. Mm-hmm. I don't think that philanthropy has to be this organized, structured thing. As long as you're doing good and treating your neighbors with kindness, I feel like you're a great philanthropist. I love that. I love everything yeah, about too. that. That's just so beautiful. So we are going to put a link to um, in the liner notes for Brave Philanthropist so people uh, can definitely check that out and get to know you a little bit more in that way. Are there other ways you would like for people to connect with you? Oh, my gosh. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Sophia Fifner. Um, I'd love to be your best friend. And hopefully <laughs> you find my content entertaining. But I, I try to post glimpses of my life in a lot of commentary on sex, politics and philanthropy. Those are all very interesting topics. You know, I try to keep things interesting. I try to keep people on their toes. Nothing too racy. I just <laughs> but I, I would love it. for people to follow me. That'll be awesome. And we will add all of that into the liner notes as well. So. Wow, this was an action-packed, full yeah. of information session today. Thank you, Sophia, for being here with us. It. And oh, sharing you. a little bit of yourself with us. So, Brian, if people want to follow us, how do they get in touch with us? Well, you can follow us on Facebook or you can get in touch with us at embwpodcast at gmail.com. That's awesome. And thank you so much again for for listening to us. We love it when you like, subscribe, and share. So please keep that going. Sophia, thank you so much for your time today. This was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And with that, we'll bid y'all adieu. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.